This is a new voice for a new Scotland. Hi, and welcome to Ken Bates' Conversations. In this episode, I'm joined by Johan, and I began by asking him to tell me about his life before coming to Scotland. Okay, well, I, I was born in London, so technically I'm English, and you can hear that I don't have an accent from anywhere, really. Um, but my ancestry on my father's side was Scottish. Um, I, I, I'm I actually McGregor, um, and the ancestry on my mother's side was Irish. So wherever I live, I'm in a foreign country. Um, I lived um, a very significant portion of my early life in Cornwall, and um, that's why I have a Cornish name. And I speak Cornish, fluent Cornish. It's kind of an un, you know rare because it's it's very much a minority among the Celtic languages. And then in 1990, I moved to the United States and um, married an American who's now here with me. Um, uh, but we have uh, between us three children who are still living in the States. So I've got a lot of connections with America. Um, and then we moved uh, to Scotland in 2005, so 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Just talking about talking about Scotland, uh, had you visited the country before you moved here? Yes, uh, but following the usual kind of tourist trail, you know, which is up past Loch Lomond, keep going till you get to Skye, turn left. Um, there wasn't a bridge at the time when I first visited Skye. Um, but uh, yes, uh, you know, mostly following the tourist trails. Um, in the time we've lived in Scotland, we've got to know a lot of the quieter places that are harder to reach further away, like the very far north of Scotland, which we really love. Mm. Talking about Scotland, what, what were your first impressions when you, when you first came to live here? Obviously, it's a big, big deal, a lot different from, from following the tourist trial, isn't it? How did you find well, it? Well, two um, important impressions we always kind of knew that the place was physically beautiful, but we'd never really realized how physically beautiful. I mean, it's just uh, breathtaking. You know, Glencoe, um, uh, sky itself, uh, it's jaw-dropping beauty. The mountains, the streams, the snow, the, the lochs. Uh, it's very, very beautiful country particularly the places where there aren't very many people. <laughs> so, we're, and we're great fans of nature. The second thing is, is that the Scottish people themselves, we, we lived in, in Dumfries, in Dumfries and Galloway, for the first um, 10 years that we were here, 10, 11 years. And uh, the people were just so friendly and so funny. The Scots have a really dry sense of humour that I still love. Um, and it's a country that has a very, very strong sense of its own identity. The Scots know who they are, and they know that they're not the same as the English or the Welsh or the Irish, for that matter. Um, and, and we like that very much. We like that strong sense of belonging and identity. Yeah. So, I, of course, Dumfries and Galloway, I've spoken to a few people who have started off in Dumfries and Galloway. And of course, right. Right. And it's the borderers, isn't it, or something? Is it, and well, the borders is more to the east. 
Yeah. Um, Dumfries, a lot of people just drive straight past Dumfries and keep going up towards Glasgow and then on to Loch Lomond. Um, Dumfries is not dramatic countryside like the Highlands. Um, it's farming land and it's very rich. There's kind of gentle rolling hills. It's, it's very beautiful in its own way. And the people are lovely. We still, we still have very good friends in Dumfries. And uh, it's, a, it's a great place. And, and I think very Scottish in character, even though it's just a short way from the English border, it's still retained its, its Scottish uh, character and nature, I think. Mm. You moved up to the Inner Hebrides and the little island of, was it Seal that you mentioned? Yes. Um, that was quite Seal, a little. Well, it was. Um, Seal is one of the Slate Islands. So um, this tiny little island, it's only five miles north to south and about two and a half miles east to west. But it's got a big harbour, a big stone harbour. And you think, well, why would such a tiny island have such a big harbour? It's because slate was quarried from this group of islands. There's about seven or eight of them. And that slate went all over the world by ship. Um, the Vatican roof, for example, is covered in slates that came from those islands. Oh. And there are slates from the Slate Islands and the Inner Hebrides all across the world, in South America and Australia, everywhere. Um, you know, during the, the heyday of the empire, that was where slate came from. I know the slate comes from other places, Delabole and as Welsh slate, of course. But this was Scottish slate and it's world famous. Um, and the islands are still there, but of course the slate industry has gone. Um, but uh, they're very beautiful, and, and Seal is just a lovely little place. Um, and uh, it, it, it's the only island that actually, well, Seal, uh, um, Sky now has an island, a, a bridge, but Seal had a bridge that was built there in 1792, a little, a little sort of humpback, circular, semicircular bridge. Um, and uh, next to the bridge, there's a pub called the Tyan Thruish, which means the House of the Trousers in Gaelic. <laughs> and you think, well, what on earth is that about? Well, after the rebellions of 1715 and 1745, it was illegal to wear a kilt, to wear the kilt. It was considered like a weapon, a weapon of war. So the men who lived on seal would come and worked on the mainland, would come to the Tyne Thruish, take off their kilts, put on some trues or trousers, go across and do their day's work, and at the end of the day, come back over onto the island, take their trues off and put their kilts back on. Ah. So it's, it's got quite a history to it. What sort of, what is, it must be quite, is it quite a small community there? It's obviously not, not, not a, it's not a big island. <laughs> No, it, is, it isn't a very big island, though actually there are about 500 people living there, which is very large population for mm. such a small island. But it's because of the bridge. It makes it, Oban is about 15 miles away. So it means that people can live on this very quiet, very rugged little island with a lot of character and history, but they can still commute to work in Oban because it's only 15 miles away. Um, the other Slate Islands have, oh, you know, maybe a few dozen people or a few scores of people. I think there are about um, 
are 50 or 60 people living on Easdale, which is the nearest next island. And some of the others are, are like Lading is a, is, a, is a bigger island, physically bigger, but there's only a handful of people live on there and it's very beautiful. It's famous for its cattle. The Ling cattle are very famous, a very hardy breed. So it's a, it's a beautiful part of Scotland. It must have been quite a contrast because the weather, weather-wise, is the weather can be a bit more brutal. I would have thought than the Inner Hebrides. It's, uh, it's great in the summer. The, the winters are wet rather than cold, but um, the rain comes in sideways quite a lot. You know, <laughs> it can get pretty windy there. I'd like to touch on a little bit about uh, obviously when you moved up from down south obviously when you first came here there wasn't the Scottish Parliament that that didn't exist when you first came here but then it's sort of uh, I don't I don't think it would have been the Scottish Parliament when you first moved. Uh, no, uh, no, well it was because we came in 2005. Oh, oh 2005 sorry. Yeah, I've, only years. years I, it's me and years I keep thinking that 2020 is a bit like 2010 like it's just you know. Yeah yeah. Five minutes ago, I'm showing my age now, I think, in that respect. But obviously, the, the type of governance that you, we see here in Scotland, in comparison with, with Westminster, is completely different. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, they're very simple. It's not only completely different, it's completely better. Um, we, my wife um, worked for Mike Russell when he was um, a list MSP for the south of Scotland. She ran the Dumfries office for a little while. So we've got to know Mike very well indeed. We know several other people in the parliament. Um, and um, we, we, are, we are enormously impressed by what the Scottish government does on a very limited budget. I mean, only 37% of what Scotland gives to the Westminster parliament in terms of revenue, only 37% of that comes back through the Barnet formula to Scotland. And Scotland doesn't have any choice about operating a balanced budget. Scotland isn't allowed to borrow any money mm-hmm. and Scotland isn't allowed to go into the red, through again, through the Barnet formula strictures. And within those budget constraints, uh, we are very, very impressed by the Scottish government. And Nicola, we've, we've, we've met uh, Nicola Sturgeon a, a couple of times um, in different places, and I think she's just outstanding. And, and we're not the only people who think that way. A lot of English people are very, very impressed by how Nicola has handled the COVID crisis. Um, she stays calm. She stays clear. Um, everything is logical. And at the same time, she's she's very warm-hearted. She's, she's a genuine person. And, and I would say that's that's a very Scottish characteristic. I mean, it's particularly true of Glasgow. You know, there's, there's, there's hardly any snobbery or putting on masks or putting on faces. People are very genuine, very straightforward, very caring for each other. And any government that follows that basic idea that we are responsible for each other, that we look out for each other, and that we treat each other the way we, we would like to be treated ourselves, you know, the golden rule, I, I, in my view, that is a successful government, and I think the Scottish government has been very successful. Of course, we've got this the issues of the power grab at the moment, and uh, the oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. about this whole power grab thing? Well, I, I, the 
the reality of the power grab is that it's not about this fanciful notion of the union and how wonderful the union is and we all pull together in the same rowing boat. Nothing to do with that at all. I mean, the, the very fact that, for example, Scottish whiskey um, is a, a, a billion pound industry and makes a significant contribution to both the Westminster revenue budget and to the Scottish budget. But because most of it is exported via London by global companies, it doesn't count in Scotland's revenue. It counts in the English revenue, which is a nonsense. And that's typical, I think. Um, the, the old lie that's been around for decades is that the Scots are subsidy junkies and are constantly grabbing money from Westminster and, and getting far more than the Scots deserve. And it, it's actually the other way around. It's Westminster that's desperate to have the money that comes in from Scotland. That includes oil, but oil isn't the be-all and end-all. There's food, there's tourism, there's whiskey, uh, there's um, wind power, there's all kinds of uh, tremendous natural resources, farming, agriculture, um, that mean that uh, Scotland is a net contributor to the UK, not a net um, subsidy junkie. That's a terrible lie. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, um, I will admit that when I live down south, it's a very common misconception down south that somehow yes. it's a subsidy junkie. And I think, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering now, uh, talk, you were talking about Nicola and the way she's, you know, uh, you know, de dealt with this whole COVID crisis and, and you know, that she's shown such uh, incredible, uh, you know, skill and, uh, and, and really, and very compassionate as well. Showing yes, very caring. You can see there are times when she's almost in tears herself when she has to announce more deaths, which are, you know, 15 being yeah. recorded. Um, but the attitudes towards Nicola Sturgeon very much down south, Jim, the old Jimmy Cranky thing and all that sort of stuff, but people oh. are actually now realising, I think, that more people down south, not that, that it can have a great deal of impact on, it won't have a great deal of impact on the Scottish elections next year, for example, but those attitudes are changing. And I'm wondering whether more people are actually starting to think, hang on a moment, you know, are, is Scotland subsidy junkies, you know, and, and maybe attitudes might change. But, you know, I, I often get that with friends when I visit down south and all that, they sort of come out with, you know, all the usual rubbish and, you, you get these stereotypes. I mean, the other stereotype, and it annoys me a great deal, is that all Scots people are mean and penny-pinching. And it's just not true. Oh, it's exactly the opposite of what's yeah. true. Yeah. The Scots are very generous, very caring. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been to a few of the um, food banks uh, in and around Dumfries, um, and uh, they're, they're run by wonderful people, but people, just the ordinary people in the street are also very generous and warm-hearted. And, uh, you, know, they're, they're, they're the, you know, the Scots are among the best people in the world and the kindest people in the world. So it's the, the stereotype is nothing like what Scots are really like as people. Oh, I completely agree with you. I live in a, in a small village. I moved to a small village here. And I've got a neighbour that come, come, comes round and if he has a takeaway, and if they don't eat all of the takeaway and they've got some left, 
they'll bring it round to me because they know yeah, I yeah. Do, yeah. You know, and they don't have to do that they just do that from the kindness of their own hearts and it's yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's it's wonderful to see and i wish that more human beings could be uh could be like that you know i think the world would be a far better place you know but uh, absolutely couldn't agree more yeah. yeah what do you see the future for scotland do you see that there's going to be an independence referendum next you know the the, the that, that the elections will trigger a referendum and that Boris Johnson will have no choice, if he's still Prime Minister, of course, will have no well, choice well, to, to, to... Yeah. <laughs> At the moment, the situation is technically stalemate because um, uh, Nicola, and well, not just Nicola, but the SNP certainly as a party, and many other people are insisting that we have a right to have a second re referendum. And the Tory government are saying, no, it was a once-in-a-lifetime event. They, they just jumped on that casual um, quote. I think it was uh, Alex Salmond who said it. Um, but it, it's not true. Um, and uh, it, it's not right either. Politics changes all the time. Whether it will be through a referendum or not, I'm not sure, because um, if the Tories insist on simply denying Scotland the ability to hold the referendum, that creates a problem not with actually becoming independent, but with the nature of the independence. The whole point about getting English Westminster support for Scottish independence, which sounds impossible at the moment, is this, that Scotland is going to be a much stronger position if we have international agreement and support for Scotland's independence. The most obvious is quick rejoining of the European Union. And I think it's pretty clear that the majority of the members of the European Union would be very, very happy for Scotland to join. Scotland is a rich country with a lot of potential, oil, fish, all those other things we were talking about, yeah. they would very much welcome Scotland coming back into the EU. But in, in technical terms, it's an important point because I think Scotland has to go for its own currency this time round. One of the major stumbling blocks last time was the decision to go with sterling, to keep the pound sterling. Now, I see the logic of that. It was to make sure that trade between England and Scotland could continue without any barriers or currency exchange necessities. That makes a lot of good sense. But a lot of ordinary people, and myself included, said, well, hang on, an independent Scotland, but we're still using the pound and we're still being told by the Bank of England what interest rates can be or can't be, and so on. It just didn't kind of gel together. Mm. So I think that next time round, uh, Scotland is going to have to propose either joining the euro, which has its own complications and difficulties, or going for an independent Scottish currency. And in that circumstance, having international support is going to be really, really important. Because if we don't have that international support, we're going to find it very difficult to get the inward investment mm. that creates the kind of solid uh, financial foundation that Scotland is going to need. I think in the long term, Scotland will be independent and will be very successful and a prosperous country. Um, but I'd rather that happen sooner than later. I think we need to become prosperous 
as quickly as we can so that we can deliver the kind of social programs that we should be delivering, which are very different to the Tory programs. I mean, we believe in supporting the old, supporting the young, supporting education, free education, free health, no prescription charges, all that kind of stuff. If we're going to make that work and if we're going to pay for it, we are going to need international confidence in the Scottish economy. Yeah, I think that there definitely would be. Uh, Scotland is well regarded throughout the world. Uh, yes. I think we do well. Now, Johan, there's a little bit of twist to our tale this afternoon, isn't there? Because you're currently not actually in Scotland and you've, no. <laughs> you've left. What's going on here? Well, we're, yeah, we're in Brittany, in France. And what's going on is Brexit. Um, on December the 31st, I am certain, I, I would bet a very large amount of money on it, that the UK is going to crash out of the EU. And I don't think there is going to be any further negotiation. I don't think there is going to be any last minute settlement. And I don't think there was ever meant to be. I don't think Gove and Johnson ever intended to actually make a settlement, despite the number of times they lied about doing that. And they did lie blatantly. Um, I, I don't think they want to do that. They just want to crash out any old house because they don't care. From their point of view, the only important thing is that the London investors and brokers and bankers are protected uh, and that they are protected from having to pay the kinds of taxes that the EU has been insisting on. That's more what they're afraid of more than anything else. And they're prepared to sacrifice the whole of the UK um, for that. Now, remember, I come from Cornwall originally, and Cornwall is one of the poorest regions in Britain. Uh, it's a wonderful place with a very, very strong culture, but it's been really damaged. I mean, house prices in Cornwall are almost as bad as they are in London. If you're born and bred in Cornwall and you go to school in Cornwall or even college in Cornwall, and then you try to get a job and buy a house, you can't do it. It's just impossible because people are selling and buying houses at London prices, not just Cornwall, the Midlands, the Northwest, the Northeast, uh, Wales, uh, and Scotland. All, you know, all of these areas are not served by Brexit at all. And on January the 1st, if we had still been in the UK, I and you and millions of other people would have lost or will lose all of those European rights. I'm now in Brittany. We came here on September the 1st. We're hoping to settle here permanently. And in the process of doing that, I keep all my European Union rights. I'm still a European Union citizen. I can move to other countries. I can do all sorts of things. Um, and, it, uh, you know, it, it's not something we, um, well, it's something we did reluctantly because we love Scotland. Um, but uh, I, I think the UK is going to be a very tough place to live um, over the next few years. And, and we're getting old and we just needed something where we knew pretty much what we could expect for the next few years that we have left, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, 
it's going to be a tough, really tough time. I'm not looking forward to it. I wish in some ways if I could move to Ireland or something like that temporarily, I would and I'd wait. As soon as, you know, young, when Scotland does become an independent nation, that I'd come straight back. I'd be straight back again because I... Since I moved, yeah. here, I've been here for nearly yeah. years now. Well, we, we thought about Ireland as well. I mean, yeah. we wanted to be, we, we wanted to be somewhere that has a Celtic culture, the same way that Scotland does. And uh, I've known Brittany ever since I was a young man because Cornwall and Brittany are very close. I speak fluent Cornish, and I'm learning Breton, and they're almost the same language. They are they're very very close sister languages. Um, my French is pretty good too, so. Uh, and it's just a lovely place. It's so beautiful, and the people are absolutely wonderful. It's a really delightful spot. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you ever so much for your time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. It's, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, stay well. Thank you. You too. That was Yoan speaking to me earlier. If you'd like to find out more details about Ken Bates's conversations, why not check out my Facebook page? That's facebook.com forward slash Ken Bates Conversations. This is a new voice for a new Scotland. Well, that's all for this episode. Until next time, stay safe.